Good morning, Princeton family. May the Lord's grace, mercy, and peace be with you today as we worship together. Today, as we worship, uh, we are, are treated to a sermon that's coming all the way from Lithuania and our Faith Promise mission partner, Joel Altna. I pray that this word that he gives us is an encouragement and a blessing to us as he leads. Good morning, Princeton Church. It's so good to be with you. My name is Joel Altena, and I serve here in Klaipeda, Lithuania with Resonate Global Mission at LCC International University. I'm so glad to be able to join you guys in your homes this morning uh, as you worship together uh, in the spirit of God all over the city of Grand Rapids and, and beyond. So uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, as we turn to God's word, let me open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for gathering us in our homes this morning. We thank you that though we are spread apart uh, because of this pandemic, Lord, that you uh, are bringing us together through your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us uh, that illuminates and uh, directs our lives. I pray that we would hear clearly from your spirit the truth that you would have us here this morning. So now, Lord, open our eyes and open our ears to the truth you have for us uh, and help us to always seek after you in all the things that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in our series on the Spirit, and today we're going to be looking at the topic of the Spirit upon us for sanctification. What does it mean that the Spirit is on each and every one of us for our own sanctification? And we're going to be turning to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles at home if you uh, have the opportunity to do that. You can also open it up on your phone. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, uh, but feel free to use whatever translation you are most comfortable with. So uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Let's read the word of the Lord together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you too will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited 
provoking and envying each other. Paul, the apostle, is writing to their churches in the Roman province of Galatia. These churches are largely made up of Jewish converts to the Christian faith. And, and Paul, at one point, had visited this region and planted these churches and set up church leaders to run the church. And then he'd moved on to other areas across Asia Minor to continue his work. But after he left this area, he gets a letter and he hears about some trouble that's brewing among these churches. There is a group of individuals in the Christian community who've been saying that the correct way to live as Christians is by following the commandments in the Torah. The way to be holy or sanctified is to follow these commands. Paul, concerned with the community and their uh, direction of turning back towards their Jewish past, writes this letter, the letter to the churches in Galatian, Galatia, outlining a new way forward. As he writes, he invites these churches to reframe their focus. Their Jewish past must shift into a Christian future. The focus was no longer on the law, the rigid rules that, when followed, led to spiritual holiness. It's no longer on the strict, singular focus on the adherence of the 613 commands found in the Torah. Rather, Paul writes that their new way forward is to be focused somewhere else. It's to be focused on the love that they have for one another. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. This was a big shift for the Galatian churches. The law uh, allowed them to focus on themselves. What were they going to do to follow the laws? What would they do each and every day to make sure they were being a good Jew? The invitation that Paul gives them is an invitation to shift their thinking, to, to reorient themselves. It's not about themselves, but about how they love their neighbor about how they act towards the community of believers around them. I'm sure that as these churches in the province of Galatia read this letter, they wondered, so what does this mean, Paul? How do we begin to live our lives now that we have to reorient ourselves in that new direction? But Paul doesn't leave them to fend for themselves. He doesn't say, okay, don't do that, but I'm not going to tell you what to do next. He actually paints them a picture of how they can now live. Paul actually points to the promise of Pentecost. And while we haven't celebrated Pentecost yet, it's coming next week in the church calendar when we celebrate the, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Paul points back to that moment as he's writing to these Galatians churches. And he says... Because you have been empowered with the Spirit, because the Spirit of God is upon you, I'm inviting you now to walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, that will help you not walk according to the law, but according to what God is inviting you to do each and every day. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Here in Klaipeda, where my wife Haley and I live, we take a lot of walks. It's a great city we live in. It's a, a Baltic port city on uh, this, uh, the Baltic Sea, and we're able to, to walk around and enjoy ourselves, getting to know our new context where we've been living for the last nine months. 
And one thing that strikes me about the walks that we go on is that we always have to be communicating where we want to go or how far we want to go or when we're ready to turn back because we're tired. The most important part of our walk is that we're always communicating what our needs are. Sometimes uh, one of us is, has more energy, so we walk faster. The other person is feeling more tired, so they walk slower. But then we don't walk together if we don't walk at the same speed. I think this is a good illustration for what it means to walk with the Spirit. We always have to be in communication with the Spirit daily about our needs and about how we're feeling or, or which direction we're going. We have to make sure that we're walking at the same speed and in the same direction as the Spirit of God. All of these things are essential. To walk by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, is to recognize that the Spirit of God is calling us each and every day in particular directions, in particular ways. And that we have to be connected and communicate and always listen to what the Spirit of God is inviting us to do. So Paul exhorts these churches to walk by the Spirit. But then he wants to explain how this happens. He says the first step in walking with the Spirit is the recognition that we don't by default walk with the Spirit. In fact, our mortal flesh, our earthly desires, our sinful tendencies, they lead us astray every single day. So he writes to these Galatians churches, Watch out for the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, your default way of living. If you don't wake up to the sin in your life, you're going to live into the sin in your life. And, and what are these acts? These are the acts of sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. It's a pretty long list that Paul gives, but what he's trying to do is saying all these things, even, even a little step in any of these directions leads to living into our sinful tendencies, leads to us not walking with the Spirit, turning our back away from the Spirit. Rather than engaging in these temptations, rather than living for our own gain or ambition, Paul invites the churches in Galatia and the church today to instead turn towards the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. I had a professor in seminary who gave a really helpful image when uh, giving this analogy of what it means to turn towards the Spirit. She put up a picture of a road sign that has a U-turn on it, 180 degrees, turn in the other direction. It's as if we're going down a road and we see this sign and it, it, it sort of tells us that the road is closed ahead. Maybe they're doing construction or the bridge is out up ahead. And so we have to do our 180 degree turnaround. We can't keep going in the same direction. We can't just turn off to the side a little bit and keep going in the same direction because the peril will still be ours. We will get stuck or we'll, won't be able to continue going in that direction. So what's required is that we turn around 180 degrees and move in the other direction. I think this image is helpful for us today, especially as we engage the daily life and the numerous temptations that come up. So maybe, for example, as we're living in this quarantine and stuck in close proximity with our families, we have the temptation to get angry at our sibling or at our spouse uh, and to lash out and say something that would be hurtful. 
What's required in that moment is not just that we stop and don't do that thing, but that we turn 180 degrees in the other direction and listen to the invitation of the Spirit. Or maybe as the temptation to post something divisive on Facebook because uh, it's political and you have to add your own opinion. As that temptation comes up, instead of just not posting that thing, what if, what if we turned 180 degrees and went in the other direction? What we need is to turn around, to move towards the Spirit, to make a distinct choice not to do the action, but also to do maybe a different action, one that would redeem the situation, that would reconcile the situation. How do Christians enter this work of reconciliation? How do Christians engage in the day-to-day -day moments when we're supposed to not just stop the sin, but also turn and move in the other direction. How do we build this muscle? Truth be told, we've all had experiences like these or, 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 or maybe uh, completely different situations, but we can probably find the truth of our own sin within them. And if we're honest, we could probably all recognize that more often than not, we quickly move towards sin. We quickly make that choice that is hurtful to the other person or divisive in some sort of way. So maybe as I say this, it seems like this idea of making a U-turn in those moments seems pretty hard, right? You have to be really aware of yourself, aware of your tendencies to sin or to lash out in anger. You have to be aware. So how do we learn to catch ourselves in these moments? It's this question that Paul invites the Galatian churches to think about. You see, he writes, if we live by the law... We're always going to fail. If we think about it as a moralistic way, if we think about it as by my own power, I have to do this thing. I have to make sure I don't sin. I have to be aware every single day. If we think that way, we're always going to fail. The truth is we can't do it by ourselves. We have a default setting to move towards sin, to fall victim to the temptations in our lives. But Paul doesn't resign us to hopelessness. He goes back to remind us again of the truth of the gospel. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. When, when you came into your Christian life, when you were baptized as a believer into the church of Christ, you were given the Spirit of God. And that spirit is within you and working upon you to soften your heart, to make you aware. That spirit is there as your aid. There's a word in Christian theology that sort of summarizes all of this process. It's the word sanctification. The spirit upon each and every one of us means that, in a sense, we are all being sanctified. We are all being made holy. We are moving towards Christ-likeness in our day-to-day -day lives. Each and every day, as we choose to make that U-turn and move in the other direction, we're actually building up the capacity and the tendency to live by the spirit to choose kindness, to choose love, to choose patience over our default setting to turn towards sin. My seminary professor who gave me that image of the U-turn also used to say this about the process of sanctification. 
She said that it's not about us giving 100% and making sure that we live perfectly by our own power. That's, that's the temptation of the law. That's the temptation of moralism. But it's also not about the Spirit doing 100% of the work. It's not like we just sit idly by and the Spirit comes and does all the work of sanctification for us. Instead, she used to say, it's 100% us and it's 100% God. That's what the process of sanctification is all about. That's what the life of moving towards the Spirit, of walking with the Spirit is all about. It's 100% us giving our effort and it's 100% God's Spirit upon us, empowering us and showing us the way that we are to move forward. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. It means that we must daily work asking God to help us to turn away from temptation. And then we must also pray daily that the Spirit would show us where our sin is. As I've been in isolation here in Lithuania, and as, as people have been in isolation all over the world, I've been thinking lately about stories in history and in fictional writing that deal with isolation. The stories are pretty plentiful. Whether it's the Jews who had to hide all over Europe during World War II and each and every day as they woke up wondering if today was the day that they might be found or exposed or killed. Or maybe uh, prisoners sitting in the incarceration system in the United States uh, as they wait out their sentences in a system that's actually much more about punishment than it is about rehabilitation. As I've been reflecting on these stories, one well-known fictional story comes to mind. It's the story of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In this story, there's four young children, the Pevensies, and they're sent uh, out of London, out of the city, into the countryside to be safe during the bombings and all that happened during the war. And so they, they're sent out into isolation. They have to live away from their parents and out in the middle of nowhere. And their first weeks out in the mansion, out in the country, uh, they begin to drive each other crazy a little bit. They're worried about their parents. They get a little bored. They don't know what to do. And then they begin to get on one another's nerves. They don't like this world of isolation. They don't like this separation from normal life. That is until during one of their normal daily games of hide-and-go-seek. The youngest, Lucy, finds a wardrobe in an upper room. And as she gets into the wardrobe and hides, she stumbles back into the far corners of the wardrobe and falls into the world of Narnia. Eventually, all the children make their way into this world beyond the wardrobe and before they know it they're wrapped up in a prophecy with talking animals and other uh, mystical creatures. C.S. Lewis's story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is a story of reconciliation. It's a story about the forces of good overcoming the forces of evil but it's also deep in its character development a story about sanctification about how each of the characters in the story are on a process of being made holy. Edmund, uh, one of the young boys, he, he's a self-conceited loner at the beginning, but he finds forgiveness from his siblings later on in the story after betraying them. 
Lucy is an innocent young girl and she's lacking in confidence and eventually by the end of the story she's transformed into a confident young woman. Peter, as a leader, must undergo a dying to his pride and become a servant to his siblings and to all that he ends up ruling in Narnia. And Susan, she goes from an impassioned pragmatic to a compassionate and imaginative and caring leader. Each of these children in the story is transformed in some way. Each of them undergoes a change, a change from an individualistic focus on themselves to a, a place of mutual love and concern for the other. A change that transforms who they are as characters in the story. A while back, I came across an article during the first few weeks of this quarantine. And the article was inviting those of us who are Christians to think of this time not as a forced quarantine or as a time of, of self-isolation or loneliness or even as a time of economic disaster, of fear and anxiety, but instead to think of it as a time of Sabbath. What if this time of pause, this time of isolation, could actually be transformed from an isolated cottage in the countryside of Britain to the imaginative world of Narnia? What if this forced Sabbath finally gave us some time to rest, to breathe, and to understand that our daily work does not define who we are, or if, if we give up our daily work, the whole world doesn't come crashing down? What if in this time we were being invited to consider our spiritual practices and cultivate new ones to grow in our compassion, in our love, in our kindness? How might this happen? As Paul invites the churches in the region of Galatia to think about, we too are invited to think about the way that the Spirit of God is calling each and every one of us today. I don't know about you, but I think I could increase my compassion, my love, and my kindness if I spent some time sitting in silence over this time of quarantine. If I created space to rest, to relax, to breathe, to read scripture, or to pray, that uh, hopefully I would be able to cultivate some sort of imaginative empathy. Maybe I could write cards to those who are shut in or uh, who are in the local nursing home. Maybe I could bring a meal to the neighbors down the street. Maybe I could get online and write a message of encouragement to someone on Facebook who might be kind of lonely or who is self-isolated. Paul, when he's writing to these churches in Galatia, knows one thing. He knows that when people begin to open themselves up to the Spirit, when people begin cultivating a consistent life of walking with the Spirit, what follows is true freedom. Sanctification is the process of moving into freedom, moving into the life of Christ. Freedom to turn away from temptation when it comes and, and tempts us. Freedom to imagine ways to love our friends and our neighbors and our communities. Freedom to listen and learn from the Spirit of God. And deep within each of us is cultivated what Paul calls the spiritual fruit. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
What if when the church was finally able to come out of this quarantine, what if we had cultivated these fruit? What if we came out ready to love more deeply, share more joyously, and give more faithfully to the world around us? What if we came out ready to reconcile communities that are divided by pol politics or by uh, race or socioeconomic income? What if we looked back on this quarantine not as a time of wasted potential or a missed opportunity or frustration of all the things that could have been, but as a time of preparation? As a time when the Holy Spirit was softening our hearts and beginning his great work of sanctification within each and every one of us. This was the invitation that Paul gave to these Galatian churches so many years ago, and it's the invitation that he gives to us today. Live with the Spirit. Because when you are with the Spirit, you are free. Free to love, free to share, free to hope. Free to be the church of Christ to a lost world. Free. Free. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your spirit upon each and every one of us. And we pray that as we are in this quarantine and as we are in this time of self-isolation and social distancing, that you would come to us and that you would do a work on our souls. That you would transform us from our self-conceited, individualistic thinking and, and that you would free us to live for you and for your kingdom. Lord, we pray that each and every day the prayer on our lips each morning would be that you would make us holy. So now, Lord, go with us. Equip us to serve in your world. We love you so much. You know, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us in worship today. If this is a ministry that you regularly support, we say thank you and invite you to continue to do so by either logging on to princetoncrc.org and clicking the donate button, or by sending a check to 5330 Kalamazoo Avenue, Kentwood, Michigan. We thank you for how your gifts, the gifts that God gave you, are able to continue his ministry the spreading of his word and the care of his people uh, through Princeton Church. And as we close worship today, Joel offers us the Lord's blessing. As we go from this place, I invite you to open your arms in a receiving fashion and receive God's blessing to each of you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his everlasting peace. Amen. Go in peace now to love and serve the Lord.